Welcome to Kingdom Testimony. This is Lisa, and we are reading the book Intramuros. It's from, I believe, 1898 by Rebecca Ruder Springer. This is her testimony of what happened when she died and went to heaven. Um, and then it turned out being a near-death experience, of course. And so this is her testimony of what happened. So today we're on chapter 7. Uh, the date is July 11th, 2022. And this chapter is a little bit longer, but we're going to get into some really interesting things. So let's examine it as we go. I apologize for the fan noise. It's really hot. As you know, I live in Arizona. And um, so let's get into it. We have two poems at the beginning, one by Longfellow, another one by W.H. Doan. And um, let's examine this as we go. Any testimonies I read on this podcast are for everyone to take to the Lord and examine scripture and see, is this biblical? I'm not reading it because I'm saying this is absolutely the way it's going to be when anyone dies and, and does go to heaven or anything like that. I'm not saying that. I read this book twice before, once when I first got it, and I think that was like 30 years ago. And then another time, probably about 10 years ago, and like I said before, I don't, it's the same with movies. I don't always remember what I read or what I, you know, what I saw. I got to hand it to those people that can quote from movies they've seen five, ten years ago. I, that's, that's not me. All right. So anyway, chapter seven, Longfellow's poem is, She is not dead, the child of our affection, but gone unto that school where she no longer needs our poor protection, and Christ himself doth rule. Day after day we think what she is doing in those bright realms of air. Year after year her tender steps pursuing, behold, her grown more fair. And a short one by W. H. Doan, Hark, tis the voice of angels, born in a song to me, over the fields of glory, over the jasper sea. As time passed, and I grew more and more accustomed to the heavenly life around me, I found its loveliness unfolded to me like the slow opening of a rare flower. Delightful surprises met me at every turn. Now a dear friend, from whom I had parted years ago in the earth life, would come unexpect unexpectedly upon me with cordial greeting, now one, perhaps on earth greatly admired, but from whom I had held aloof from the fear of unwelcome intrusion, would approach me, showing the lovely soul so full of responsive kindness and congenial thought, that I could but feel a pang of regret for what I had lost. Then the clear revelation of some truth, only partly understood in life, though eagerly sought for, would stand out clear and strong before me, overwhelming me with its luster, and perhaps showing the close tie linking the earth life with the divine. But the most wonderful to me was the occasional meeting with someone whom I had never hoped to meet 
over there, who with eager hand-clasp and tearful eyes would pour forth his earnest thanks for some helpful word, some solemn warning, or even some stern rebuke that had turned him, all unknown to myself, from the paths of sin into the life everlasting. Oh, the joy to me of such a revelation! Oh, the regret that my earth life had not been more full of such work for eternity! My first impulse daily, on arousing from happy, blissful rest, was to hasten to the river of life and plunge into its wonderful waters, so refreshing, so invigorating, so inspiring. With a heart full of thanksgiving and lips full of joyful praise, morning after morning, sometimes in company with my brother, sometimes alone, I hastened thither, returning always full of new life and hope and purpose to our home, where for a time each day I listened to the entrancing revelations and instructions of my brother. One morning, soon after my return from the first visit to earth, as I was on my way to the river, my voice joined to the wonderful anthem of praise everywhere sounding. I saw a lovely young girl approaching me swiftly with outstretched arms. Dear, dear Aunt Bertha, she called as she drew near. Do you not know me? My little May, I cried, gathering the dainty creature into my arms. Where did you spring from so suddenly, dear? Let me look at you again, holding her at a, mom a moment at arm's length, only to draw her again tenderly to me. You have grown very beautiful, my child. I may say this to you here without fear, I am sure. You were always lovely. You are simply radiant now. Is it this divine life? Yes, she said modestly and sweetly, but most of all, the be being near the Savior so much. Ah, yes, that is it, the being near him. That will make any being radiant and beautiful, I said. He is so good to me, so generous, so tender. He seems to forget how little I have done to deserve his care. He knows you love him, dear heart. That means everything to him. Love him? Oh, if loving him deserves reward, I am sure I ought to have every wish of my heart for I love him a thousandfold better than anything in earth or heaven. I would die for him. The sweet face grew surpassingly radiant and beautiful as she talked, and I began to dimly understand the wonderful power of Christ among the redeemed in heaven. This dear child, so lovely in all mortal graces, so full of earth's keenest enjoyments during the whole of her brief life, pure and good, as we count goodness below, yet seemingly too absorbed in life's gaieties to think deeply of the things she yet in her heart revered and honored. Now in this blessed life, counted the privilege of loving Christ, of being near him beyond every other joy. And how that love refined and beautified the giver. As a great earthly love always shines through the face and elevates the whole character of the one who loves, so this divine love uplifts and glorifies the giver, until not only the face, but the entire person radiates the glory that fills the heart. Come with me to the river, May, I said presently, after we had talked together for some time. Come with me for a delightful plunge. 
Gladly, she said, but have you ever been to the lake or the sea? The lake or the sea, I echoed. No, indeed. Are there a lake and a sea here? Certainly there are, said May, with a little pardonable pride that she should know more of the heavenly surroundings than I. Shall we go to the lake today and leave the sea for another day? Which shall it be? Let it be the lake today, I said. So turning in an entirely different direction from the path that led to the river, we walked joyously on, still talking as we went. So much to ask, so much to recall, so much to look forward to with joy. Once she turned to me and asked quickly, when is my Uncle Wilk coming? My hand closed tightly over hers and I saw a sob almost rose in my throat. Though I answered calmly, that is in God's hands alone, we may not question. Yes, I know, his will is always right, but I so long to see my dear uncle again, and to long is not to repine. She had grown so womanly, so wise, this child of tender years, since we parted, that it was a joy to talk with her. I told her of my sad errand to earth and the sorrow of the dear ones I had left. Yes, yes, I know it all, she whispered with her soft arms about me. But it will not be long to wait. They will come soon. It never seems long to wait for anything here. There is always so much to keep one busy. So many pleasant duties, so many joys. Oh, it will not be long. Thus she cheered and comforted me as we walked through the ever-varying and always perfect landscape. At length she cried, lifting her arm and pointing with her rosy finger, Behold, is it not divinely beautiful? I caught my breath, then stopped abruptly and covered my face with my hands to shield my eyes from the glorified scene. No wonder my brother had not sooner brought me to this place. I was scarcely yet spiritually strong enough to look upon it. When I again slowly lifted my head, May was standing like one entranced. The golden morning light rested upon her face, and, mingling with the radiance that had birth within, almost transfigured her. Even she, so long an inhabitant here, had not yet grown accustomed to its glory. Look, darling auntie, it is God's will that you should see, she said softly, not once turning her eyes away from the scene before her. He let me be the one to show you the glory of this place. I turned and looked like one but half awakened. Before us spread a lake as smooth as glass, but flooded with a golden glory caught from the heavens that made it look, made it like a sea of molten gold. The blossom and fruit-bearing trees grew down to its very border in many places and far, far away across its shining waters arose the domes and spires of what seemed to be a mighty city. Many people were resting upon its flowery banks, and on the surface of the water were boats of wonderful structure, filled with happy souls and propelled by an unseen power. Little children, as well as grown persons, were floating upon or swimming in the water. And as we looked, a band of singing cherubs floating high overhead drifted across the lake, their baby voices borne to us where we stood in notes of joyful praise. 
Come, said May, seizing my hand. Let us join them, and we hastened onward. Glory and honor, sang the child voices, dominion and power, caught up and answered the voices of the vast multitude below. Be unto him who sitteth upon the throne and to the Lamb forever, sang both child voices and multitude together. And in the strain I found that May and I were joining. The cherub band floated onward, and away in the distance we caught the faint melody of their sweet voices and the stronger cadence of the response from those waiting below. We stood upon the margin of the lake, and my cheeks were tear-bedewed and my eyes dim with emotion. I felt weak as a little child, but oh, what rapture, what joy unspeakable filled and overmastered me. Was I dreaming? Or was this indeed but another phase of the immortal life? May slipped her arm about my neck and whispered, Dearest, come, after the rapture, rest. I yielded to her passively, I could not do otherwise. She led me into the water, down, down, into its crystal depths. And when it seemed to me we must be hundreds of feet beneath the surface, she threw herself prostrate and bade me do the same. I did so, and immediately we began to slowly rise. Presently I found that we no longer rose, but were slowly floating in mid-current, many feet still beneath the surface. Then appeared to me a marvel. Look where I would. Perfect prismatic rays surrounded me. I seemed to be resting in the heart of a prism. And such prism, P-R-I-S-M, <clears throat> and such vivid yet delicate coloring mortal eyes never rested upon. Instead of the seven colors, as we see them here, the colors blended in such rare gradation of shades as to make the rays seem almost infinite, or they really were so, I could not decide which. As I lay watching this marvelous panorama, for the colors deepened and faded like the lights of the aurora borealis, I was attracted by the sound of distant music. Although May and I no longer clung together, we did not drift apart, as one would naturally suppose we might, but lay within easy speaking distance of each other, although few words were spoken by either of us. The silence seemed too sacred to be lightly broken. We lay upon, or rather within, the water, as upon the softest couch. It required no effort whatever to keep ourselves afloat. The gentle undulation of the waves soothed and rested us. When the distant music arrested my attention, I turned and looked at May. She smiled back at me, but did not speak. Presently, I caught the words, glory and honor, dominion and power. And I knew it was still the cherub choir, although they must now be many miles distant. Then the soft tones of a bell, a silver bell with silver tongue, fell on my ear, and as the last notes died away, I whispered, Tell me, May. Yes, dear, I will. The waters of this lake catch the light in a most marvelous manner. As you have seen, a wiser head than mine must tell you why. They also transmit musical sounds, only musical sounds for a great distance. The song was evidently from the distant shore of the lake. And the bell? That is the bell, which in the city across the lake calls to certain duties at this hour. There never was a sweeter call to duty, I said. 
Yes, its notes are beautiful. Hark, now it rings a chime. We lay and listened, and as we listened, a sweet spell wrapped me around, and I slept as peacefully as a child on its mother's bosom. I awoke with a strange sense of invigoration and strength. It was a feeling wholly dissimilar to that experience during a bath in the river, yet I could not explain how. May said, one takes away the last of the earth life and prepares us for the life upon which we enter. The other fills us to overflowing with a draft from the celestial life itself. Draught or draft? I don't know. And I think the child was right. When we emerged from the water, we found the banks of the lake almost deserted, everyone having gone, at the call of the bell, to the happy duties of the hour. Groups of children still played around in joyous freedom. Some climbed the trees that overhung the water with the agility of squirrels and dropped with happy shouts of laughter into the lake, floating around upon its surface like immense and beautiful waller lilies or lotus flowers. No fear of harm or danger, no dread of ill or anxiety, lest a mishap occur. Security, security and joy and peace. This is indeed the blessed life, I said, as we watched, stood watching the sports of the happy children. I often think how we were taught to believe that heaven was where we would wear crowns of gold and stand with harps always in our hands. Our crowns of gold are the halos his blessed presence casts about us, and we do not need harps to accentuate our songs of praise. We do see the crowns, and we do hear the angelic harps, when and as God wills it. But our best worship is to do his blessed will, said May as we turned to go. You are wise in the lore of, her lore of heaven, my child, I answered. How happy I am to learn from one so dear. Tell me all about your life here. So as we walked, she told me the history of her years in heaven, her duties, her joys, her friends, her home, with all the old-time freedom. I found her home was distant from our home, from our own, far beyond the spires of the great city across the lake. But she added, what is distance in heaven? We come and go at will. We feel no fatigue, no haste, experience no delays. It is blessed, blessed. Not far from our home, we saw a group of children playing upon the grass. And in their midst was a beautiful great dog over which they were rolling and tumbling with the greatest freedom. As we approached, he broke away from them and came bounding to meet us and crouched and fawned at my feet with every gesture of glad welcome. Do you not know him, Auntie? May asked brightly. It is dear old sport, I cried, stooping and placing my arms about his neck and resting my head on his silken hair. Dear old fellow, how happy I am to have you here. He responded to my caresses with every expression of delight and May laughed aloud at our mutual joy. I've often wondered if I should not some day find him here. He surely deserves a happy life for his faithfulness and devotion in the other life. His intelligence and his fidelity were far above those of many human beings whom we count immortal. Did he not sacrifice his life for little Will? Yes, he attempted to cross the track in front of an approaching train because he saw it would pass between him and his little master and feared he was in danger. It cost his life. 
He always placed himself between any of us and threatened danger. But Will, he seemed to consider his especial charge. He was a gallant fellow. He deserves immortality. Dear, dear old sport, you shall never leave me again, I said, caressing him fondly. At this he sprang to his feet, barking joyously, and gambled and frolicked before us the rest of the way home, then lay down upon the doorstep with an upward glance and a wag of his bushy tail, as though to say, See how I take you at your word. He understands every word we say, said May. Of course he does. He only lacks speech to make him perfect. I somehow hoped he might find it here. He would not be half so interesting if he could talk, said May. Possibly not. How silken and beautiful his long hair is. He has his bath in the river every day, and it leaves its mark on him also. Do you know I think one of the sweetest proofs we have of the Father's loving care for us is that we so often find in this life the things which gave us great happiness below. The more unexpected this is, the greater joy it brings. I remember once seeing a beautiful little girl enter heaven, the very first to come of a large and affectionate family. I afterward learned that the sorrowful cry of her mother was, Oh, if only we had someone there to meet her, to care for her. She came lovingly nestled in the master's own arms, and a little later, as he sat, still caressing and talking to her, a remarkably fine Angora kitten, of which the child had been very fond, and which had sickened and died some weeks before, to her great sorrow came running across the grass and sprang directly into her arms, where it lay contentedly. Such a glad cry as she recognized her little favorite, such a hugging and kissing as that kitten received, made joy even in heaven. Who but our loving father would have thought of such comfort for a little child? She had evidently been a timid child, but now as the children gathered about her, with the delightful freedom they always manifest in the presence of the beloved master, she, looking up conf confidingly into the tender eyes above her, began to shyly tell of the marvelous intelligence of her dumb pet, until at last Jesus left her contentedly playing among the flowers with the little companions who had gathered about her. Our Father never forgets us, but provides pleasures and comforts for us all according to our individual needs. Who shall I behold, uh, when shall I behold the Savior? When shall I meet face to face him whom my soul love, soul loveth? My hungry heart began to cry out in its depths. May, as though understanding the silent cry, placed both arms about my neck, looked tenderly into my eyes and whispered, You too, dearest, will see him soon. He never delays when the time is ripe for his coming. It will not be long. You two will see him soon. So we parted, each to the duties of the hour. And that's the end of chapter seven. My only thoughts that I want to add <clears throat> is I had a dog, Tinkerbell, and I might have mentioned this in a past episode, I think in the memoir one, but that dog was prophetic. 
there were times when I would take her for a walk and she was just a little like a schnorky, like a miniature schnauzer Yorkie. Cute. Oh, was she cute. Um, but she had been slightly disfigured as a puppy. And so she had one ear that wouldn't stand up. So there's always one ear up and one ear down. Well, not always, but because they were a little floppy. But she couldn't raise the one ear. And then the one eye, she couldn't shut it. So it would like water sometimes. But anyway, and she was black with a little bit of white here and there. There were several times when I would be with her and I would be studying the Bible or talking to the Lord, just praying or whatever. And things would happen. And it's hard to explain, but but she would just look at me like, yeah, I get what you're going through. I really do. And then I had a dream in the fall of 2019. And she was about 14, maybe 15 years old. We weren't always sure of her age because she was um, a rescue pet. But um, I had a dream that she was walking crookedly. And I looked at her and I thought, oh no, there's something very wrong with you. And she was just looking at me like I'm not right. And she was walking crookedly. And about three months later, New Year's Eve, Christmas, or New Year's Eve uh, 2019, I took her outside. It was very cold. I was living in North Dakota at the time. It was very, very cold out. Like, 10 below and it was right before her bedtime it was dark and I was like come on Tinker you have to, you gotta go gotta go potty come on and um and so she went potty and then I knew that she, she was acting funny so I'm like do you have to you know you gotta go number number two but I couldn't get her to go and I could tell that the cold was hurting her feet and I was like okay well we can go in and as she was going up toward the steps to go up the steps she started walking crookedly and I looked at her and I thought, oh my God, I saw this. I knew this was coming. So I carried her in and that's when we had um, temporary guardianship with the grandkids at the time. This is my um, second husband, now my ex. And so I carried her in and I told the grandkids, I said, she's not feeling good. I think it's the cold. I don't know. I think she's got a tummy ache. I didn't tell them because they always played with her before bedtime. And I was like, you can't play with her tonight. She's not feeling good. And so I put her in her in her little bed. She had a little zip-up carry bed that she liked to sleep in. And I zipped her in so that they wouldn't bother her. And then they all went to take their showers. And I took her out. And she was in severe pain. And she she wasn't a barker. She wasn't, she never, you know, wasn't a biter or anything like that. And so I carried her upstairs and cradled her, um, shielding her from, shielding the grandkids from what was happening, but cradled her until she passed away like an hour or so later. But not long after that, that in, 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 uh, that was 2018. That was New Year's Eve 2018, because in the spring of 2019, the grandkids went back home with their dad and, um, and I had had Tinker cremated because I, I was moving so much. I'm like, I'm not going to bury her anywhere. I'm just going to take her with, you know. 
which I still have her here. And she was my daughter's dog and my dog. And the property I live on now, um, when we first got Tinker, my daughter was like 15 years old, I think, or 14 or I'm not sure her age. I think she was 15. But my daughter, you know, we had her out here with us. And so I told my daughter just the other day, I said, next time you come out here, we're going to have to, um, we're going to have to sprinkle her ashes because I just, I don't want to keep her in that box. Anyway, too much information. So spring of 2019, I had a dream. I, it was not a dream. It was not a dream. I was just waking up. It was still dark out. And I had my eyes closed and I heard a bark and then I saw her clear as day looking directly into my face and she licked my face and I opened my eyes. And immediately I thanked God. You know the movie, All Dogs Go to Heaven or something like that? I immediately thanked God. I was like, I knew that dog had a place in the Lord's will for my life, in my Christian journey, and I know she's up there waiting for me. I know she is. I just, I just know it. And like, um, I don't know why they, her, her name is Bertha, but the author's name is Rebecca, but how she talks about how the dog was faithful in the other life, I, you know, there is Bible verses that talk about the souls of animals. So I'm going to leave it there and you decide. I take great joy in believing that my beloved Tinkerbell will be in heaven to meet me when I get there. All right. Well, we just clicked over at 30 minutes. It's a long one. So I'm going to let you go and I pray you have a blessed day.